I would ask that we remain standing for the reading of Scripture this morning. We continue on in the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 6, this morning, verses 7 through 13. Let us hear and attend to the Word of God. And he, that is Jesus, called the twelve to himself, and began to send them out two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Also he said to them, In whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And we'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. Please be seated. We continue on this morning in the Gospel of St. Mark, straight talk about Jesus Christ. And in chapter 6, we follow from last time, we saw Jesus' ministerial visit and the conflict with unbelief in his own hometown of Nazareth. Uh, We pointed out that that was not a social visit, even though Jesus still had sisters who lived there, and uh, they knew and remembered his family and the broader community. But Jesus went there intently because he went into the synagogue, and he brought his uh, 12 apostles with him intently to minister the gospel, and they turned him away in common unbelief. Uh, Now we come to the next part in verses 7 through 13, and Jesus sends his 12 apostles out on gospel mission where they too will face conflict in this sinful world in the midst of representing the power of the gospel. I think it's also fair to consider because we know from chapter 3 about these 12 apostles, where they originally came from, their hometowns. I think it's very uh, probable that they also visited some of their hometowns. And they had just had this experience with Jesus in Nazareth. And Jesus wanted them to see the greater expanse and power of the gospel, even though we have a natural affinity and desire for those on earth whom we love most dearly and most connected to. uh, The gospel goes far and wide to those who are near to us and to our children and to those who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call. So Peter preached at Pentecost. Now, the peculiar arrangements and instructions Jesus gave the apostles is generally explained by him sending them in pairs for safety and for cooperating testimony uh, with no provisions to, pr- to prove their faith. And then when rejected, to shake the dust off their feet as an expression of, of a cultural Jewish um, uh, expression of uh, separation. So that's what's generally said about this passage and those peculiar uh, directions that Jesus gave them. However, I think upon closer look at this scripture passage, verses 7 through 13, which we read together with also the parallel passages in uh, Matthew chapter 10 and and in Luke chapter 9, along with here, Mark chapter 6, in comparison with the broader scope of salvation history in scripture, we find this passage connects Old Testament themes and types to the, new gospel, to the new covenant gospel fulfillment. And I want you to see that. I know it's a short passage. And I know we can kind of read over it uh, uh, without paying attention to some of the details. But I want you to ask yourself this question. What is the biblical connection and significance of Jesus sending the apostles out two by two, instructing them to make no extra provisions 
and to shake the dust off their feet as a sign of God's judgment. Those are the three things I want us to look at this morning. So as we continue on here in the Gospel of St. Mark chapter 6, the gospel conflict in this sinful world against unbelief, disbelief, false belief, and weak belief, but the saving faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is the victory that overcomes the world. Uh, We are looking at that to encourage and to continue and build our faith in that assured victory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we don't turn aside to the right hand or the left hand, that we don't let conflict in the sinful world with unbelief, disbelief, false belief, or weak belief undermine our continued faithfulness and commitment to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We saw last week, verses 1 through 6, unbelief expressed by common rejections. This morning I want us to look at verses 7 through 13, looking at disbelief over the message of repentance, conversion, and judgment. Uh, And I don't want to make a big deal out of saying the differences between unbelief and disbelief. I think it's nuanced to some extent. I think what we find here and what uh, we look at in, in terms of what Jesus instructed the disciples here, the apostles as they go out, in terms of what kind of disbelief that they will deal with, is disbelief over the message of repentance, conversion, and judgment. And the examples that are given, people just don't have time for it. They may not be hardened in unbelief like Jesus experienced among some in Nazareth. There are also people who are just don't have time for it. They're going about the common affairs of life. Or they think, no, I think that's too harsh. When you preach about God's judgment and you preach about sin, I just don't want to hear that. I think God is more loving than that. I think God wants us to have a good time. I think God isn't that kind of mean-spirited kind of idea. So people build up their own ideas. And they have a low view of the holiness of God. And they have a low view of God altogether. Many who dispute and say, well, I don't think it really matters if God is the Creator. What does it matter? And yet we look at the pieces of the story of salvation that's revealed to us in Scripture, and it all matters. It all matters in the way that the psalmist said, let God be true, and every man a liar, when it comes to opposition to what the Word of God says. And that's what we're facing here in verses 7 through 13 in the instructions that Jesus gives His apostles. They will encounter disbelief. Disbelief over the message of repentance, conversion, and judgment. Look at verse 7. Jesus calling and sending the apostles. He uses language expressing official commission. They are going to represent him as the source and the power of the gospel. They're not doing this on their own. They're sent out as ambassadors. They are sent out as representatives. Verse 7, we read, And Jesus called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. Now, previously, Jesus had chosen the twelve apostles by name. Uh, it was from a group of broader disciples. And we saw that back in chapter 3 of Mark. So Jesus officially here calls and sends his apostles, those 12 whom he uh, chose. He names them in pairs. Uh, Matthew tells us that in chapter 10. Here Mark says he sent them out two by two. So Jesus pairs up the apostles by name. He sends them out. And the wording of God, Mark's gospel, two by two, connects with the biblical story of Noah and the ark. Uh, You know that story in Genesis chapter 7. 
uh, and also broadly in chapters 6 through 8, the story of Noah and the ark. Uh, sadly, we've kind of reduced that to a children's Sunday school story. And I know we have all the, the beautiful examples of the ark and the animals, and we're interested in uh, uh, animal planet. Uh, though we are Christians, we can uh, delight in God's varied creation. But we need to look more closely at the biblical type in terms of the ark, Noah, and the flood. There's more to be said to us. The biblical account of Noah's ark and the worldwide flood it's not only a historical reality, it's also a type. Now, I'm not going to dispute with you about the, the account of Noah, the ark, and the flood. It was a worldwide flood. That's what the scriptures tell us. I already mentioned this morning the value of the archaeological uh, record, uh, the interest in others who have tried to promote the biblical um, truthfulness by building a, uh, um, repl- replications of the ark and all that kind of thing. And, and I find that interesting. But it's all secondary to the truth of Scripture. The Bible says that God sent the flood, and why? And it says that God saved Noah and his family, eight souls. It tells us it's a type of salvation that's even greater than being saved from the flood. And so that's what we do. We look to the Scriptures. And we have Noah's Ark and the flood as a covenantal object lesson, a type about God's way of salvation. And there are additional scripture passages that verify this typology. Uh, In Matthew, Jesus references disbelief in his day. Disbelief over the gospel. And he says that it is this disbelief is like in the days of Noah. So in the days of Noah, in the days of Jesus, in our day, in every generation, disbelief over the gospel of the kingdom is like it was in the days of Noah because people are in their hearts the same. What are we told about people in the days of Noah? What is it that Jesus says? He doesn't say that they were hardened sinners and they were going to come and try to uh, kill Noah and his family. It just says they were disinterested. They continued about their lives. They ate and they drank. They married and they gave in marriage. They continued their normal lives and they just said, we don't listen to that old preacher. What is he talking about? Uh, that, that rains are going to come, that a flood is going to come. What is rain? It's, According to scripture record, it hadn't rained on the earth until that time. And so people today tell us about, oh, you're God of judgment. And and that messy slaughter of the cross, that that sacrifice and all that blood, that's ugly. We don't want to talk about that. We're not interested. We want to have a party. Look, work is hard enough and daily life and the the concerns that, um, you know, weigh us down. Actually, we just want to escape all that. We want to tune into the lives of the rich and the famous, and we want to envy their lives, and we're going to try to mimic that by what we eat and where we go and who we hobnob with. That's what Jesus said. This is where the Gentiles, this is where the unbelievers look for their identity and what they eat and what they drink, how they dress and who they hobnob with. You don't find the meaning of your life in that, and you do not find God's promised salvation through that. And that's why Jesus told us that like in the days of Noah, People are in disbelief. They say, I don't, want, I don't believe that judgment stuff. I don't want to think about a God being like that. Noah is commended as a believer and a preacher of righteousness that is imputed by faith and so salvation by grace. You can see it in Hebrews chapter 11, in First and in Second Peter. I've given you references there. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That's what uh, Peter writes and says that by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, Noah preached to unbelievers in his day who are now, their souls are in prison because they rejected the message and they were lost. 
We don't like to hear that message. We don't like to hear that there is judgment and there's eternal loss and there is eternal judgment. We don't want to hear about that. But that's what sets the meaning of salvation is the great good news. There is salvation from the flood of God's holy judgment. And Noah is commended to us as a preacher of righteousness. So God saving Noah and his family by the ark through the flood is identified as a biblical type of the eternal salvation that is in Jesus Christ symbolized by new covenant baptism. What a beautiful symbol that is. Not As Peter says, not the washing away of the dirt on the body, but the answer of a good conscience to God. Because we're told, as Paul writes, that we are identified with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We are united to him. We are taken through the waters of the flood of God's judgment in an ark of safety. Like Noah and his family were carried through the flood in the ark of God's preparing. Like Moses led the Hebrew children through the divided waters of the Red Sea, through the waters of destruction that destroyed Pharaoh and his army. We're carried through. Throughout Scripture, these are presented to us as types of the greater reality of the salvation that we have in Christ. He is the ark of safety. He is the Savior of our souls. And baptism is a sign of that. God gathered the general animals onto Noah's ark two by two. You know that story. It's an amazing story. What you may not remember is that God also specified to Noah that he was to take seven of the sacrificial animals. And so there is specification given to us there. But generally we think about the two animals, male and female, for the repopulating of the earth after the flood. Uh, Again, I believe that story Uh, Though there may be things I can't explain or I don't know how this happened or that happened, it doesn't matter. I believe it. And and, uh, those animals that were taken on on the ark, others may have been preserved in the waters. However, God did it. And were there perhaps some species that were lost uh, after the flood? Very probably so. But that is all according to God's providence. I, I don't stay up late at night worrying about that. What I see here is that Jesus sends his apostles out two by two where the animals came two by two, male and female, onto the ark at God's direction. So God, the Savior, sends out Jesus. God, the Savior, sends out His apostles. He commissions them. He officially endows them with power to represent Him. He sends them out two by two to gather the lost sheep into the ark of salvation before the final judgment of God. Isn't that a greater Story to rejoice in. Isn't it wonderful that the animals came upon the ark and, and, and we love all the uh, uh, imagination that goes along with trying to, to think about that and think about those animals and, and uh, the wonder of God's uh, variety in creation. If you think that's wonderful, let me tell you this. There is something far greater in that the lost sheep of God are gathered across the generations and from around the world into the ark of safety of their souls from the flood of God's judgment. They're carried through by Jesus Christ. That's what this story is about. That's what's more important. That's what's more interesting. So just like the days of Noah preparing the ark and the days of Jesus and his apostles preaching repentance to enter the kingdom of God, in every generation, then and now, The gospel of Jesus Christ comes into conflict with disbelief. That is, people going about their daily lives with no consideration for their souls in eternity. A dismissive attitude about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin. Why do we preach repentance, conversion, and judgment? Because God is holy 
And we need to be struck with the sinfulness of sin. And our only salvation from that is through the ark of God's safety that is in Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you see that connection here and how it is that Jesus sent out his apostles two by two to gather the lost sheep into the ark of salvation. And then we come to verses 8 and 9 where Jesus restricts the preparations and the provisions the apostles are to have on this gospel mission. Look at verses uh, 8 and 9. That is, Jesus commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, and to wear sandals and not to uh, wear or not to put on two tunics. Now, doesn't that sound odd to us? What are these... uh, Instructions that Jesus is giving his uh, apostles, sending them out two by two. Well, the list of things Jesus restricts is neither a moral prohibition against things sinful. The things that are named here are not sinful. Nor is this an arbitrary test of faith. Jesus saying, don't take any of this. I'm going to test your faith uh, as to how you can live uh, uh, by trusting me. There's more going on here. It's a demonstration of the greater exodus by walking away from the kingdoms of this world for the kingdom of heaven. And that's something that should challenge us all. Have you walked away? Have you been delivered from the kingdoms of this world and into the kingdom of God? So Jesus direct and delivered, or as God directed and delivered the Hebrews from Egypt by Moses... This is the instruction that God gave Moses to give to the children of Israel uh, concerning their Exodus and the Passover. Here this comes from Exodus chapter 12. And thus you shall eat it, that is the Passover, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. Now what I'm saying to you is that Jesus prohibitions and instructions to the apostles here, sending them out two by two, specifically in reference to these things, connects with the story of the Exodus. Jesus, the greater Passover, and he is going to be sacrificed. At this time, he's preparing his apostles for what's going to come. And in terms of the greater Exodus that he is going to accomplish. So he picks up on this uh, theme from the Exodus and the Passover and what Moses was instructed to give by way of restriction and preparations for the children of Israel in leaving. And they were to leave in haste. That's where the real emphasis is here on anticipation and being ready. Haste to follow God's promises without doubts or objections. So Jesus sends the apostles without preparations. They don't have time to go home and to pack. That's what he's saying. No, this is immediate. I'm sending you out now. This isn't something you're going to plan for. This is not a holiday. or This is not a business trip. You've got to go home and make plans and prepare and pack. Doing those things is not sinful. Having those things, making provisions, carrying money in your belt, having an app sack with extra clothes or even an extra tunic, those kinds of things. Those things are not sinful. What Jesus is saying is you don't have time for that. You need to feel the urgency of the commission that I'm giving you, and you need to go now. You need to make haste in following and obeying God. Yes, you will be provided for, just like the children of Israel were provided for. But it's not the emphasis is not on the provision. The emphasis is on obedience and trusting God and His power to do what He says He will do. 
So, like God's instruction to Moses for the Hebrew exodus from Egypt, and, and by the way, that's used throughout the Bible as a type of salvation. I hope you know that and connect with that. The exodus from Egypt is used throughout Scripture as a type about God's way of salvation. So, like God's instruction to Moses for the exodus of the Hebrew children from Egypt, not only for trusting God's providence, but also for immediate obedience. The apostles are to trust and obey Jesus as who? The greater Moses, the prophet to come. He's greater, a greater uh, prophet than Moses, a greater deliverer than Moses. And his message is for a greater exodus than that out of Egypt. I hope you connect with that. I hope that you recognize that. I hope uh, maybe you want to go back this week and and look up some of the scriptures from the Psalms and from uh, the writings of the uh, uh, apostles. Uh, Paul writes in Corinthians about the greater exodus of that first generation and their uh, being under the judgment of God coming out of Egypt and of the warnings that are given to us and the application that is made about God's way of salvation and the greater exodus following the greater Moses, and that is Jesus Christ. That brings us into verses 10 through 11. Jesus using the gesture of shaking the dust off the feet And we should interpret that in terms of biblical symbolism, more so than a cultural expression of Jewish separation. And that's where um, I want to challenge you on this um, and get you to think about it. Uh, Look at verses uh, 10 and 11. And Jesus said to them, In whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, truly, Jesus emphasized, this is what this is all about. I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than in the day of judgment than for that city. So Jesus explains what he means by telling them to use this cultural symbol. Yes, it was a cultural symbol. It's commonly reported that here in these verses, also a reference in Acts chapter 13, that this gesture was practiced by strict Jews When they returned from pagan locations, they would shake the pagan dust, that unclean dust, they would shake it off their feet. Now, it was a gesture. They didn't go and wash their feet and they didn't trip out over, oh, there might be some dust on the hem of our garb. No, it was just a gesture. Shake the dust off your feet. But Jesus is telling us about something more. If we want to say Jesus is even redeeming and sanctifying this gesture, he explains it to us with biblical reference. To be about warning of the day of the Lord's final judgment. What is it? How does Jesus place that for us? When he says, shake the dust off your feet because you're separated from un, un, a non-Jewish people? As the gesture was cu- customarily used? No. Jesus says, I'm going to locate this squarely in the Bible in the reference to God's judgment on the cities of the plains on Sodom and Gomorrah. Throughout the scriptures, Sodom and Gomorrah are used to warn us of God's judgment. And of the great day, Jesus says it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those who reject the gospel. That's a powerful, powerful statement. It's deep. It may be disturbing. You know, what's also interesting is that that we often sort of uh, look at Sodom and Gomorrah as the worst of the worst, as the most degenerate, as having been so corrupted and perverse. You know what? I think it's the prophet Jeremiah says that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was fullness of bread and idleness before they became so perverse and degenerate 
They were idle and had everything provided for them. We have the good life. We have fullness of bread. Uh, We have um, dinner parties all the time. We don't have to do much work. We can sit around and indulge ourselves in eating and drinking and becoming more and more corrupt and satiated in our our flesh. That's, That's what the prophet said by the word of God. And so Jesus is warning us here and saying, the shaking the dust off your feet is a reminder of something far greater, that there is the judgment of God to come, the great day of judgment, calling even when Sodom and Gomorrah and the ancients will be brought up and accountable and finally judged by God. And he says it will be more tolerable for them than it is for those who have rejected the gospel and continue to reject the gospel and oftentimes with just a callous disbelief, not out of a hardness of rebellion, but, but just, it's, I'm not interested. I like this life. I want to live this life to the fullest. I want what this life offers. I'm just disinterested in this judgment stuff. And of course, this whole symbol of dust should resonate with us because of what God said in terms of his judgment against original sin, of which we are all partakers. We are all inheritors of original sin. And what did God say about that? From dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Does that strike you? When Jesus says, look, dust is a reminder of our limitations, of our mortality, From dust we are, till dust we shall return. And Jesus says there is a day of God's judgment that is coming. Have we lost sight of the the sinfulness of sin and the holiness of God? Do we chafe at hearing that there is a great day of God's judgment coming? I must preach what Jesus told the apostles to preach. Repentance and conversion and judgment. That's what sets the great good news of the gospel up for us. Not that there is a party somewhere that we're invited to. That our souls are eternally safe. Because death is coming. No one will escape it. From dust you are. And to dust you shall return. And there is a great day of God's judgment coming. So I hope you notice that all three of these Old Testament types that are alluded to for us here. Noah, the flood, and the ark of safety. Moses and the exodus, and the greater exodus uh, uh, that Jesus brings. And of the final judgment that even the ancients will be brought up and will receive. The last day, the great day of the Lord. All of these are in reference to the power of the gospel sourced in who Jesus is as Greater, the greater ark of our safety than Noah. The greater prophet and deliverer from the Exodus than Moses. The greater judge than even the judgment that came upon the messengers of God upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, Jesus sets for us the greatness of the good news of the kingdom of God because of the defeat and the the destruction and the final ruin of the kingdoms of the world. Who will save you? In verses 12 and 13, we read that they went out and preached that people should repent. 
they should be converted. They were preaching in reference to the judgment of God and escape the wrath to come and the promise of the good news, of the great good news. And it was attested in that they cast out many demons, anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. So although there is conflict with disbelief in this sinful world, the apostles' preaching of the gospel attested by signs of power over demons as well as anointing and healing many sick people gave testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ as the anointed one of God for the faith that overcomes the world. That's why we preach this gospel, this great good news. We preach it in reference to repentance, conversion, and judgment. We reference the Old Testament stories as the truth of God. God did this in the past. It's like an exclamation point. God says, if I did this, do you think you're going to escape? Beloved, let me tell you something. There is no escape. There is no escape from dust to dust. There is no escape from the holiness of God. But there is good news because there's salvation. And salvation is greater than escape. It's life. So by Jesus' commission to the church, we continue to preach the same gospel of the kingdom of heaven in this sinful world because people are the same kinds of sinners. So let us not be dismayed. May we not give up. May we not become weak in our faith because of unbelief and disbelief. Because some are hardened and reject, even within our own closest associations of people we love so dearly whose hearts are hardened against the gospel in unbelief. We know who you are. I remember when you were a party boy. No, but I've changed. I'm telling you why I've changed. Because of Jesus Christ. And disbelief. No, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear about judgment. I have enough problems in my life. I just want to eat and drink and find some happiness, find some uh, source of, of quiet or enjoy myself somewhat. It's all about me. I need to find some enjoyment. I don't want to think about judgment and about eternity. But dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so Jesus tells us we need to look at the truth of Scripture. And we need to hold on in faith to the promise of the gospel. And we said that Jesus is the water of life. The symbol that is used in the very words that are given to us in Scripture. Jesus is the water of life. Jesus says He's the bread of life. He tells us that He is the Passover Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. All of these biblical types and the wonderful displays of God's involvement in the world of His creation and God's providential sustaining of the world of His creation all serve to tell us a great lesson of faith that Jesus' promise of the gospel of the kingdom is greater and it will not fail. And Jesus gave us a reminder in this Lord's Supper he reminds us who He is as the Lamb of God. He reminds us who He is as the ark of our safety. He reminds us who He is as the greater Moses for a greater exodus. 
And so we look to Jesus, remembering that He came in a body like ours. And so we take of this bread as a symbol, not only of Jesus' true humanity, but of the great wonder of our feeding upon Him spiritually, that we are one loaf. What a beautiful image that is. And that in this cup, we have a reminder of Jesus' blood, that He gave His life, the righteous for the unrighteous. That this is how we are spared. This is how we are saved. This is how we are delivered from the flood waters of God's judgment. Because Jesus has covered us. And the judgment of God has passed over us, having been satisfied in Jesus. So I want you to see those symbols and I want you to believe the word of God that Jesus gives us to promise that we are in the ark of safety, that we are delivered from the flood waters of judgment, that though we may pass to dust, we will be resurrected to glory. Our hymn of